Welcome back to those who've just had a, a breakout room on the Zoom call. Amazing. We're, we're launching into a new teaching series today. I'm really excited about this one, Songs from the Frontline. It's a series in the book of Psalms um, entitled Processing Life with God. Before we launch in, shall we pray? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our Father, who art in Wembley, Southgate be thy name. The cup will come, Cain's work will be done in London as it was in Rome. Give us this day our daily pint and forgive Sterling's offside trespasses as we forgive those who bet against us. And lead us not into underachievement, but deliver us the title. For football's coming home, the history and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, there we go. <clears throat> I was hoping for a better response early doors, and I thought, I've got to go through the whole prayer. And I'm not, I'm not sure this is really landing in the room, but I'm trusting at home that you were loving it. Sense that in my spirit. Um, I'm joking. So, Lord, we pray that you'd come and speak to us through your word and by your spirit. Amen. So, three tasks as we launch this teaching series. Number one, I want to explain the series title. Number two, I want to provide a theological framework overview of the Psalms. And number three, I want to look at what do the Psalms model to us about wholehearted worship. So, number one, the series title, Songs from the Front Line. Um, the Psalms are songs. They would have probably been sung by the nation of Israel. Um, and songs have stories. Songs always have backstories. This is how songwriters work. They take life experience and the emotions that they're experiencing in that moment. And these become the raw materials for them to craft melodies and lyrics that communicate something of what they're going through. And this is the gift of songs. Once they've been written, they become a gift to others to help them articulate what they're going through however long later. So imagine King David who wrote most of the Psalms. He experiences victory in battle and he crafts a song and then centuries later as Israel experienced another victory they turn to that Psalm and they sing it with joy in their hearts. Or imagine King David experiencing despair or loss or heartbreak. And then centuries later, communities begin to use that song to articulate their own heartbreak. Or, or David, a special occasion, you know, him being anointed as king, he crafts a song and then it's used at other special occasions. And this is how we use songs. We do it all the time, not just with psalms, but with pop songs. And the obvious example is breakup songs. Now, I don't know what, I'm guessing in a room like this, a lot of people have experienced like a breakup. And I don't know what you did, but this is what I think most of us do, is we, we go home and for a season we want to wallow in the pain of it. So we, we you know, open the freeze and get the ice cream or maybe a glass of wine. We go to our room and we find a track on Spotify that's just going to help unlock the emotion. And, and then we cry into our pillow for some considerable time. Now, the key question for me is, is what song? What song helped you unlock the deep pain? Now, there's some obvious ones. I think Sinead O'Connor, for me, would be, that would be a big song. It's been seven hours and 16 days since you took your love away. And then the chorus. <laughs> nothing compares, nothing compares to you. I mean, that's painful, isn't it? That, that's really, really raw. What about Celine Dion classic? All by myself. Don't want to be, but I am. All by myself. That would be another one. You too, with or without you. 
sort of reliving that moment from friends as Ross and Rachel split up. Uh, it's raining outside because it always rains when you break up. And then the bass line begins. I can't live with or without you. What about REM? Everybody hurts. Adele, someone like you. Streets. This is a bit more optimistic, this one. Dry your eyes, mate. I know it's hard for you, but her mind has been made up and there's plenty more fish in the sea. Or, or what about Taylor Swift? We are never, ever, ever getting back together, right? So, so we play these songs because these songs help us unlock something that's within so that we can engage with our inner world. So these songs have backstories, but you also need to know they're songs from the front line. They're songs from the battleground. Like we know the end of the Christian story as God comes down and makes his dwelling place with humanity. Heaven and earth reconciled. There'll be no more death, grief, crying or pain. That's a phenomenal end that we look forward to. We long for Christ's return, but we know in the waiting, in, in the sort of like contending for some of that to break into our here and now, we will experience death and grief and pain and loss. In other words, we live out our faith on, on the battleground and these Psalms are songs from the front line. So that's the, the series title. Let me give you a little bit of a theological overview then of these Psalms. So Walter Brueggemann wrote this brilliant book um, called The Spirituality of the Psalms. And in it, he basically says the Psalms capture some of the story of the nation of Israel. And the story, as well as these Psalms, have three kind of components to the journey. There's orientation. This is when life's going well. Everything's sort of like going as planned. And songs from orientation basically are thanksgiving psalms. God, you're amazing. You've provided for our needs. You've led us to this spatial, spacious place. We just celebrate your goodness. Almost like it's an overflow. It's not hard work to praise when you're in the midst of orientation. But then something happens. The loss of a loved one. A diagnosis. A redundancy letter. COVID-19, something comes from left field and it leaves you completely disorientated and songs from disorientation sound and look very, very different. But we know that God is faithful. He's a redeemer. He's a deliverer. He lifts us from the pit. He puts our feet on solid ground and he puts new songs in our hearts. And what are those new songs? Those new songs are songs of reorientation, of like, God, it was like this, but you stepped in and now it's like this. And I give you praise. I just celebrate your character and your activity in my life. So Walter Brueggemann says these are the three types of psalms, psalms of orientation, disorientation, reorientation, that mirror the story of Israel, who sort of go from living in their land and thriving to turning their back on God, ending up in exile, slaves in Babylon. And a lot of the psalms of disorientation come from that season, but they then return to their homeland. So you get this story and these psalms help them live in the story. Now what Walter Brueggemann doesn't do is, is highlight the shape, because what he should have done is something like that. And for those that are part of KXC, hopefully you'll see the connection that essentially the Psalms begin to communicate the story of God, which is a story from creation to decreation to recreation. If you haven't heard that sermon, why not? Because it is the only sermon I really ever, ever give at KXC. Um, 
So, so the Psalms communicate something of the story and our journey through the story, from orientation to moments of disorientation to moments of reorientation. So what do they model to us about wholehearted worship? And the answer is they model to us bringing the whole of our lives into conversation and communion with God. The whole of our lives into conversation and communion with God. So Bono, lead singer of you 2 he wrote a book on the Psalms. Um, and he was interviewed about the Psalms. And essentially he was asked the question, look, you're a follower of Jesus. Why don't you write songs for the local church setting? Like you write these incredible songs that travel all over the world. Why don't you write congregational worship songs for local churches? And his response, um, pretty, pretty brutal, but so much truth in it. He basically said a lot of worship songs occupy this fairly narrow bandwidth of the human experience. He's like, I, I want to write songs that touch the agony and touch the ecstasy of the human experience. I don't want to just write songs that hang in this narrow bandwidth in the middle, right? And it's a challenge to the church to to push the bandwidth so that we're singing songs that help us bring moments of agony before God and moments of ecstasy. We're going to experience one of them later. Hopefully sort of like 10 o'clock tonight, we'll be celebrating a moment of ecstasy as as we lift the European Championship high. the trophy high. But how can we bring the whole of that spectrum before God? Now, just to illustrate this, then, we're going to write a little song together. Um, just to, you know, it's so quick that we can just write these songs. And I, I, I'm going to do this to slightly sort of exaggerate the point, but hopefully you get the idea. So I, I'm going to give you line one of a verse. I want you just in your head to try and write a line two, a line three, right, for the verse. And then, and then we'll just finish it with something, okay? So first line is... Our praise to you we bring. It's a worship song, so it has to rhyme, by the way. So our praise to you we bring. Our praise to you we bring. What's line two? Our praise to you we bring. Any ideas? Come. It's coming home. <laughs> our praise to you we bring. It's coming home we sing. We to you our risen king. We love you. Something like that, right? Very simple. Um, verse two then. We fall down on our face. We fall down on our face. Anyone? We fall down on our face, longing for your embrace. Someone finish that third line. Receiving your grace. grace. We love you. Brilliant. Amazing. Is anyone recording this? This this should be good for the live album that that we're going to do next. Okay. You you get the idea, right? And and I'm, again, I'm exaggerating to make the point because simple songs are often the best worship songs because we just, it allows us to fully engage it in what our heart wants to say to, to God. But you can get the point that a lot of these songs don't touch the agony, don't touch the ecstasy. And we need songs that enable us to bring the whole of our lives into conversation and into communion with God. So listen to these words then from N.T. Wright. He says this, the Psalms are among the oldest poems in the world and they still rank with any poetry in any culture, ancient or modern, from anywhere in the world. They are full of power and passion, horrendous misery and unrestrained jubilation, tender sensitivity and powerful hope. Anyone at all whose heart is open to new dimensions of the human experience, anyone who loves good writing, anyone who wants a window into the bright lights and dark corners of the human soul, anyone open to the beautiful expression of a larger vision of reality should react to these poems as someone who hasn't had a good meal for a week or two. 
In other words, we should be devouring these psalms, and as we do so, we'll become far more fluent in articulating our inner world to God and drawing into his presence. So I want to look at some examples of the Psalms then. And over the next six weeks, we're going to be focusing in on some of these key themes. Um, And my hope is at the end of this teaching series, we're emotionally healthier, right? You know, that image, that prophetic word from earlier about the bubble wrap, just sort of letting go so that we can sort of rediscover our true selves. My hope is that we'll be emotionally healthier. Where there's grief that's been trapped, it will be in the process of being unlocked. Where there's anger that hasn't been communicated, a conversation there will begin um, and the list goes on. So let's start with with a psalm of orientation. Now we often talk about a sacrifice of, of praise. I would say a sacrifice of praise is the kind of song that emerges from disorientation. In other words, it feels hard to bring it, to celebrate the goodness of God when you're surrounded by darkness. But in orientation, it becomes effortless. You just can't help but like offer up a song. And this would be um, an example, Psalm 150. So David says, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his acts of power, praise him for his surpassing greatness, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet, praise him with the harp and the lyre, praise him with timbrel and dancing, praise him with the strings and the pipe, praise him with the clash of cymbals, praise him with the resounding cymbals, let everything that has breath praise the Lord." Something's happened, right? And, and, and David is erupting in thanks and praise. Here's the challenge, right? When life is going really well, whilst it should be the overflow of our praise just to celebrate the goodness of God, it sometimes isn't, right? In fact, a lot of people let go of the hand of God when life is great. They cling to it often when things get really challenging. But when life's good, it's like, I've got this one, God. Leave this to me. Life is going well. There's something of the discipline of when, you know, life is great, turn it back to praise. Whenever God is at work in your life, where there is blessing and where there is favour, turn it back to praise. Gratitude connects you to the giver and it strengthens your relationship with God. When life is going great, when we stop praising, we gradually disconnect from Jesus. So we have these Psalms of orientation, but let's look at Psalms of disorientation. Psalms of confession, lament, anger, intercession. This is what I want to say about Psalms of disorientation. They are a temporary necessity, right? They're a temporary necessity. We won't sing them in heaven, right? Because there will be no death, no grief, no crying, no pain. So these psalms of lament, of anger, of of intercession. No, when when Jesus has returned and restored everything to how it was in the beginning, we won't be grieving. We won't be interceding. We'll be celebrating and enjoying the ecstasy of union with Christ, right? So they're temporary, but they're an absolute necessity. Like for this season, until Christ returns, psalms of disorientation are a necessity if you want to walk through dark valleys with Jesus and out the other side to the green pastures. We need to learn how to sing these psalms of disorientation. 
So let me give you an example, Psalm 51 then, before we read the psalm. Here's the backstory. David has sent his army into battle. The standard thing to do would be for the king to go into battle with the troops. But on this occasion, David sends his fighting men into battle and he stays home in Jerusalem with the ladies. So all of the fighting men go into battle. David and the ladies stay at home. Now you can imagine what's about to happen, right? So he's on his rooftop um, enjoying the splendor of Jerusalem. He notices a lady bathing on on an adjacent rooftop um, and says to the servant, come here, you see that lady, she looks like she's got an amazing heart and a tender spirit, obviously joking because she would have been bathing and potentially naked, um, says, could you bring that lady to me? And Bathsheba's brought before David, all of the men, including Bathsheba's husband, are out of the city, David lies with her, um, she becomes pregnant, and then David realises, oh my goodness, I can't believe this, this is, this is a nightmare, I, I can't hide it anymore, um, so what what do I do? What do I do? And he, he basically gets in touch with the, the, the commanding officers, you know, in the battle and says, you need to orchestrate that Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, dies in battle. I don't care how it happens, just orchestrate it that he dies um, and, and therefore Uriah dies. And David thinks, right, well, now I can marry Bathsheba. We can have the child and no one need know. Thinks he's got away with it. And then the prophet Nathan encounters David and it all comes into the light because all of the stuff we try and hide in the darkness, eventually it, it always comes into the light. You know that, right? It always comes into the light eventually. Um, and then David, this like wave of shame hits him like a ton of bricks. And, and he just feels this weight of guilt, condemnation, regret. Listen to this psalm. Um, and, and I want to encourage some of you to lean in because some of you, the song you might need to be singing right now is, is God, I, I want to get right with you. I've come to church and I feel deep guilt about what I've done. Or, or maybe it's worse than guilt because guilt is normally connected to activity, what you've done. Shame is connected to who you are. You know, guilt is this is what I've done and it's wrong. Shame is this is who I am and it's wrong. And we just carry this stain of like, Lord, I want to get clean. L- listen to David's song. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Would you blot out my transgressions? Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I I know my transgressions, my screw-ups, and my sin is always before me. Have you ever experienced that moment when you've done something and and you just can't sort of shake it? It's, It's constantly on your mind. Constantly in view. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart. And he begins to go on. Can you hear the sound of someone, you know, bringing a song before God of like, God, I I repent. I'm so sorry. Would your mercy be poured out upon me? Right? And maybe some in the room, some watching at home, the song that's stirring in you, maybe the song that's like trapped in your body, in your bones, is, is the song of someone wanting to get right with God. Just bring the song. All you need to do is bring the song. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when we don't bring the confession, when we don't bring the song, we often miss out on the redemption, the forgiveness, the cleansing that can take place in the presence of God. 
So for some of you, I want to encourage you, if that's you, like later when we just pray, like bring that before God to get right in his presence. Let's talk about lament. So Psalm 6, the story goes on, David has the baby, um, but the baby at young age falls ill and David's advisors basically say the baby's not going to make it, the baby's going to die. Um, and David is traumatised. It says in the scriptures that for a week he falls prostrate on the ground. He refuses to eat anything. He covers himself in sackcloth and ashes. He's basically grieving in anticipation of the death of his child. Now just again, imagine the anguish of your child that you love potentially dying and and David begins to declare Lord don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath like I'm the one that screwed up I'm the one that screwed up please don't punish this child for my sin have mercy on me Lord for I'm faint Heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one can praise your name. Who praises you from the grave? That's probably David saying, like, my son can't praise you from the grave. Like, rescue him. Save his life. Spare his life. I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Pretty brutal reading, right? But if you find yourself in a moment of deep grief with these big questions where in the midst of the darkness you're beginning to doubt, question the character of God, how long, O oh Lord? Like, are you going to step in? Like, are you trying to punish me? Like, hopefully we know on our better days, like the character, nature and purposes of God, his will for us is good. But on our really dark days, we question it. And it comes out in this Psalm of Lament. Listen to this one, Psalm 13. David, in this part of the story, his mentor, his hero, King Saul, is trying to kill him. King Saul has become so jealous of, of the favour on David. He's like, I'm going I'm to take this, this guy out. So David is hiding in a cave and basically says to one, to, to one of his servants, like, go get the guitar. And, and then he begins to declare this. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me. Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. We're living in a moment where there's just an extraordinary amount of grief. But we're also living in a moment where a lot of people don't know how to process grief. They don't know how to bring these songs, these deep emotions into conversation and communion with God. And, and the grief gets pushed right down. And that's where it can do some serious damage, right? What would it look like to bring a song that basically says, I'm hurting like hell, doubting at times your character and your goodness. But Lord, would you give light to my eyes so I can see you as you really are? Right? We need songs of lament for a season like this. What about songs of, of anger? 
Um, this is kind of Rage Against the Machine type vibe of a psalm where people bring raw anger into a conversation with God. Now, I just want to name this in case you weren't aware that there's some really lousy theology in the psalms. Just going to say that again to let it hit. There's some really bad theology in the psalms. Just because it's in the Psalms doesn't mean it's great theology. So let me give you an example of this. Um, This is King David at a moment where he's livid at someone who's trying to take him out. Um, He's livid with an enemy. And I want you to hold this as a Psalm up against the words of Jesus, who says, love your enemies, okay, and bless those who persecute you. So that's the bar, love your enemies, Bless those who persecute you. Listen to how far, for, uh, far short David is falling of the bar. He says, Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him be found guilty and may his prayers condemn him. It wasn't you know, long ago that, that David was saying, would you blot out my transgressions? Would you remember them no more? But this guy's, remember them. Oh no, I want you to remember them. May they condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labour. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. In other words, wipe him from the face of the the planet. Now, a therapist will have a field day, right, with David. Say, like, there is a major anger problem here, David, that that is going to destroy you. And it sounds like it is destroying you. But that's in the hymn book of the nation of Israel. That became a tool to help thousands of thousands of people throughout the history of Israel and throughout church history to worship God. Like, how could that be worship? How could, like, poor theology that falls short of the teaching of Jesus be beautiful worship? And the answer is, it's bringing raw emotion into a conversation and into communion with God. Like, in that moment, that is authentic to how David felt. And he just brings it before God. Doesn't take it, you know, to the drinks cabinet or or anywhere else. He brings it to God. Lord, would you destroy him? Like, wipe him out. Like, take out his kids. And you could imagine God listening to the prayer, listening to the song. I love this song. I'm not going to do that, David. No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, David. I know your heart, and I know you're hurting, and I'm here. And I, I'm receiving this as a psalm, because you're bringing your full self to me. You're wanting to bring that rage into my presence, and I welcome you, and I, I fully embrace you. I'm not going to answer the prayer, no. No, but I, I fully embrace you, because that's what David really needs, right? What he's searching for is an embrace. You know, and, and sometimes we need to learn how to bring anger into conversation and into communion with God. Some of us, myself included, I feel such frustration in this moment. I can feel it in my body. I can feel it in my body. And I need to bring that frustration to God in prayer and in worship. So you've got these two options, basically, express it or suppress it. Bring it out before God or bury it down. And if you bury it down, it does real damage. It causes us to shut down where we no longer experience the nearness, the presence of God. So let's move on then 
to, to psalms of intercession. Well, this is basically the cry from the pit. Lord, deliver me. Lord, rescue me. Rescue me from evildoers. Protect me from the violent who devise evil plans in their hearts and stir up war every day. They make their tongues as sharp as serpents. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Keep me safe, Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Protect me from the violent who devise ways to trip my feet. Some of us right now need a psalm like Psalm 140, where we basically say, Lord, I'm contending for a miracle, for healing power for my friend. I'm contending for provision, financial provision. I'm contending for fill in the blanks. It's a psalm from the pit of, of Lord, would you deliver? Because that's your name. The, the word Jesus literally means saviour. And the Hebrew Yahshua, meaning God will lead us to a wide open space. We're basically saying, it's your name. It's your nature. Would you come and deliver me from the pit? And God is faithful to his promise, which leads us to these psalms of reorientation, which is thanksgiving again. But the, the psalms of thanksgiving from reorientation sound very different to the psalms of thanksgiving from orientation. Remember the sound from orientation? It was like cymbals, trumpets, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Like everything's great. Listen to this one then. Psalm 103, praise the Lord my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul, forget not all his benefits. And this is where you realize the psalmist has journeyed through something really quite traumatic. Who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That's someone who's been through the dark valley out the other side and just saying, God, it was you that saved me. It wasn't my willpower, my strength. That was you. I love you and I bring you praise. And Psalms of Thanksgiving in, in reorientation, they lead us to intimacy. As I said, gratitude connects us to the giver. So you have Psalms like Psalm 139. You've searched me, Lord, you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. This is someone who's, who's been through challenging seasons and just discovered the faithfulness of God. And this is just, a, this is a love song. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. This is the creator of the cosmos. Just laying his hand on the psalmist who can sense his presence. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Let me close with Psalm 23. Because this is, this is the thing I want to stress. When you've encountered the faithfulness of God, there's an invitation to intimacy. And intimacy is the pathway to impact in terms of the kingdom of God. Intimacy is the pathway to impact. Abiding in the vine leads to fruitfulness, right? And I think in, in, in the Western church, we've become less familiar with just songs of intimacy and love songs. When I grew up, everyone was singing love songs in church. One of my favorite ones was this beautiful song, by your side, I would stay. In your arms, I would lay. Jesus, lover of my soul, nothing from you I withhold. Lord, I love you and adore you. 
What more can I say? You cause my love to grow stronger with every passing day. Now that was like 30 years ago. And even 30 years ago, there was resistance to that. Of like, oh, it sounds a little bit sexual, lying in the arms of Jesus. And that's because even 30 years ago, culture was beginning to equate intimacy with sex. And people were saying, guys struggled to sing love songs in church. And do you know what happened, honestly? A lot of churches stopped singing love songs. But we'll do praise. You know, we'll do declaration. We just won't do the intimacy stuff because people struggle with intimacy. Could it be that we're having less impact in the church because we've stopped singing love songs? Listen to this from King David, warrior king, mighty in battle, just singing a love song. The Lord is my shepherd. Not the Lord is my all-powerful king, although that's true too. The Lord is my shepherd. He provides and therefore I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the greatest king in the nation of Israel, the king who had the greatest impact. Could it be? Because he's the king who was singing the most love songs. So you get the point, and I'll wrap up there, is that there is a psalm for every season. There's a psalm for the moments of agony, and there's a psalm for the moments of ecstasy.